if uh, again, some of you have not been here before, and so you're like, oh my gosh, we have to do a sermon too, <laughs> which I don't know why you would say that, but I know probably some of you just did. Um, but no, this is not your uh, normal Brian Paget sermon of 50 to 60 minutes or less, because sometimes I've done that. Um, I'm actually going to read my text this morning, and, and I'm doing this by design for a couple reasons. One, because it'll, it'll be shorter, uh, but as I was just reading through it, I thought, you know, I, I want to say what I wrote. And uh, if you know anything about us, we write our sermons two weeks out. Uh, and so this is not, I didn't write this yesterday or this week, whatever. So I, I was sitting with this uh, a couple of weeks ago and, and just, Lord, what do, we, what do we share? And honestly, it was really challenging because what I try to do in these is, is wrap up uh, kind of where we've been. Uh, and so normally we've gone through like whole books of the Bible and this is kind of the final day and I'll either cover the last few verses of it or I'll kind of recap. And so we've been in Corinthians all semester. And so next week, Tyler will pick up in 1 Corinthians 15 and we'll get to the last two chapters and wrap up 1 Corinthians before Advent season starts. Uh, and so we'll be back at Will Rogers uh, next week. And uh, before I, I start jumping in on this, I wanna say something about today in particular. Uh, today is... Uh, is World Mental Health Day. And uh, if, you, if you'll go on to RedeemerStillwater.com and you'll click the bulletin, if you already have that up, you'll scroll down to the bottom. Uh, it, it says, I think, announcements or is it make connections or something like that. Anyway, if you click on it, inside that link, uh, you'll see a tab there that says mental health resources. And we put this up last year. And so it's always there. Every Sunday, it's there. So if you've never noticed that before, I just want to direct your attention there. Uh, and I just want to say this, and so Sarah alluded to this in her testimony. Um, I try to be very uh, uh, bare bones with you, like just kind of raw with you about my own battle with uh, depression and anxiety. It's been most of my life. Um, <clears throat> and and I, I wish I could stand up here and say right now, like, you know, you know, man, just in the past I've, I've struggled, but I'm better now. And this has been a hard week for me. And uh, this next week I'm getting away. I'm getting a personal retreat for that matter. I mean, the last 18 months, you would understand if I said it was a depressing 18 months. Yeah, everybody would be like, yeah, yeah, I'm into that. Uh, but there's been a whole lot of stuff that has gone on. And, um, and it is just everything I can do sometimes to just get out of bed um, and just to, to walk and do something and not be uh, worthless and everything else. And so uh, I share all that with you because I know I'm not alone. If Listen, if you're having... Uh, mental health issues right now. If this is new for you, you've never done that, you're having this crisis, you don't really know what's going on, come talk to us. Uh, hit up those resources. We have counselors here even uh, that, that I know help us out and point us to different things. But I just want to make mention of that because uh, it, there's a stigma around it, and especially in Christianity, uh, where we hear silly things all the time about how the Christian's always happy. Uh-huh. <laughs> and everyone here that's really a Christian is like, liar. And because it's just not true. Sometimes things are really hard and depressing, and so it's okay to cry out for help and ask for that. In fact, that's very, very much what we've been called to uh, as Christians anyway. So uh, with that, I want to get into uh, our sermon this morning. So I want to go back in 1 Corinthians just a little bit from where we left off. Uh, we ended with chapter 14 last week, uh, but I think what Cammie just read in 1 Corinthians 10, 31 through 33 sums up really well. Kevin preached on this a few weeks ago. But I think it sums up really well, really all of 1 Corinthians. Um, and so here's, here's what I've kind of found in my own life uh, and more as I've grown. that When there's chaos and confusion and uncertainty and fear, I often seek an anchor for my life. Something that'll kind of hold me down, right? When all the stuff's going crazy. What's that anchor going to be? And so <clears throat> I wish I could say it's always been Jesus. It's not always true. 
And often when things are chaotic, I turn to self-preservation. Uh, maybe you're like me. I, I protect and defend myself. I trust in my own ability to bring about calm in the midst of chaos. I grew up in a home where there was a lot of conflict, and I learned uh, early on how to navigate and survive the chaos of my childhood. As I've gotten older, I'm learning more about how hard it is for me to trust God in the storms of life. I've lost trust in, lo in the ones that at an early age I should have been able to trust, but I couldn't. And I've grown to trust God more and more in the chaos and confusion of life, but I still have a lot of room to grow. And so the past 18 months have been a real challenge for me in the area of trust. I know I'm not alone here, as I've heard from many of you have expressed similar things, especially in regards to those that you've long had respect for in the Christian faith. I can't tell you how many leaders in the Christian faith that I just don't trust and respect anymore over the last 18 months. So why am I sharing all this? I share this because we're in one of the most confusing, chaotic times we've ever known here in our country, at least for us, that we've known, that we've experienced. Our culture and our churches are more divided than they've ever been, and it's not getting better. And listen, talking and posting about social media, on social media about how we all just need to be unified, that's nice, but it's really not doing anything. It's like kind of what Jeremiah, the prophets, the false prophets of Jeremiah's day would say, peace, peace, when there was no peace. You're just crying out, unity, unity. There's no unity. And it's better to just own that instead of acting like we have this faux unity. Just because Michael Scott declares bankruptcy doesn't mean he's actually declared bankruptcy, right? You can't just say it. I didn't say it. I declared it. You can't just say unity and we all got unity. There's really hard work involved. If we want unity in the church, it's going to come with that really hard work. It was easy just having, a, you know, if it was as easy just kind of having this mic drop moment about unity, then we would have already had it accomplished. No, we need to acknowledge that we're deeply divided in the church as well as the culture. And we need to look deeply <clears throat> at this uh, as it continues to, to rage on. The pandemic has exposed just how deep some of these divisions are. And thus we are now in a time of confusion and chaos in our churches. Paul, throughout 1 Corinthians, has been addressing this with them. Their divisions that, that he's caused and what's been causing those divisions. And our text this morning, I believe he brings us to the anchor. And this is what keeps us from drifting and losing control uh, and finding ourselves caught up in the winds of this storm. This is the foundation of tr any true unity, whether in our church or whether our church is in town or around the country. And so let me read again, 1 Corinthians 10, verses 31 through 33. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Verse 31, I think is our anchor. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It's from this text that Paul moved to the chapters that we just covered in chapters 11 through 14. And they deal with glorifying God in the public worship, meaning that our public witness matters. It matters just as much as your personal witness, which is where we spend most of our time talking, that when the church gathers and as we represent Christ on the earth, our public witness as the body of Christ matters. And I believe this text ties it all together it comes on the heels of him writing about how everything is lawful, he says, but not everything is helpful or builds up. He then commands the church to seek not their own good, but the good of others and the interest of others. He has walked through issues of eating meat offered to idols and whether they can or cannot do that and when they can cannot do that. He speaks of our freed conscience. Listen, the freed conscience is so that you can restrict yourself for the sake of the others and their conscience. And then he comes to this moment where he says, so whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. And so because of what he's been saying is true, here's what we're to do. Whether we're eating or drinking or whatever we do, do all 
to the glory of God. This is the command, do all to the glory of God. That word all there literally means all. No matter what we do, we're to do it to the glory of God. Now, you'll realize real quick some things that you cannot do to the glory of God. So like Paul's not saying murder to the glory of God. Okay, we can't be fools with this. Like, well, he said, do everything to the glory of God. There are things you cannot do to the glory of God because you know that it dishonors God. It brings no glory to God. In fact, it profanes his name and he's speaking specifically to the church. He's not saying abuse others to the glory of God. None of that stuff. That's not what all means here. It doesn't mean whatever you feel like doing or whatever you feel like is right, just do it to the glory of God. No, in light of this is how we treat one another and how we treat the other. This is why he follows up with give no offense to the Greek or to the Jews, to the Greeks or to the church of God. How can you be glorifying God while offending your neighbor? How can you be glorifying God while you're offending your neighbor? God's not glorified when Christians mistreat, harass, mock, uh, ridicule and destroy and offend others. That in fact is the opposite of glorifying God. And it is absolutely condemned by God. God is not glorified when we do things that cause others to stumble into idolatry. God is not glorified when we seek our own good, not the good of our neighbor. God's not glorified by political ideology. God is not glorified by our negligence. God is not glorified by peddling conspiracy theories. God's not glorified by racism, classism, sexism, whether explicit or implicit. We are to give no offense to the Jews or Greeks or the church of God. This means we give no offense to those who do not believe in Jesus as well as those who belong to Jesus by faith. This covers everyone. So we do all to the glory of God and this is before all people everywhere. So many claim to glorify God and when you ask them how one glorifies God, here's what you normally hear. We glorify God by singing worship songs or by praying and reading our Bibles, we, by telling people about Jesus. And I fear that when we talk about glorifying God, we do so with this kind of pie in the sky view in our minds. We imagine the whole earth singing praises to God. And while singing praises can be glorifying to God, they can also be annoying to God. So many Old Testament texts speak of how God wants nothing to do with your worship songs, with our words, because we're unjust, we're unmerciful, we're unrighteous, and we're unfaithful. Now, does that strike anyone as odd? We think that if we just pray more often with others, sing more often with others, study the Bible more often with others, that we'll somehow have unity and thus we're glorifying God. I hear it all the time. Hey, pastor, all these pastors in town are getting together so we can have some unity over prayer. I quit going to those meetings because I show up to the meetings and I'm like, you don't like them. You don't think they are actually Christian. You don't think they preach the gospel. You're a heretic. <laughs> so are you, so are you, so are you. I don't know what you are. Why are you even here? I mean, it's, you walk in there and you're like, what is this? Well, we're gonna have unity around prayer. None of these people even talk to each other outside of this. Why does God wanna hear anything you have to say to him? Maybe we should start at a different point. Has it occurred that maybe God despises our worship gatherings? Now, I don't think when God speaks of despising worship that he's done with it forever. God's like, they're stupid. I don't wanna hear it anymore. I don't want any more worship ever again. It's dumb, no. He's not saying that. He's saying that it's all for show and there's no substance. It means nothing. If we wanna truly glorify God, then we must pay closer attention to how we treat and view one another and our neighbors. The anchor of our lives, no matter what we do or do not do, is to glorify God. Or as one commentator put it while I was looking at this, that the ruling motive of the, this is the ruling motive of the Christian's life, to glorify God. 
And by how, we do, how do we glorify God? By doing good to others, by honoring neighbors, by honoring and out, outdoing one another and showing honor. Seeing this as an anchor in our lives and our church, then we begin to better respond in the chaos and confusion of life's storms. I went back a couple weeks when I was writing this and I listened to the Facebook Live. If you remember when we first went live during the pandemic, March 15th, 2020, I'll never forget that day, I did a Facebook Live from our offices, our old offices. And I did this like sermon kind of prayer thing, this led prayer deal uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. And it was the first Sunday that everything shut down. And I listened to what I said then. And as I look at where we are today, nothing has changed for us. Like I feel crazy about 98% of the time. If you don't believe me, ask Tyler and Kevin, ask Abby, my wife. I feel crazy. And then these little things start dripping out that I'm like, aha, I'm not crazy. I wasn't crazy. Good, you're crazy. I wasn't crazy this time but I feel crazy so much because I'm, I'm like, did we do the right thing? Are we doing, are we still wearing masks? Are we doing the right thing? Should we have been meeting out at the park for eight and a half months? Should we have been wearing masks while we were meeting at the park for six of those months? What is going on? I'm asking, I feel crazy. And I went back and listened to this. And here's what I said at the time. I said, we were gonna respond to this pandemic in love, not fear, not cynicism and not negligence, but love, love for God and love for others would drive our response. So all along the way, everything we've done makes us look really odd in this city. Like, you know that, right? Like, we're the weird ones. And you're like, you know, kind of as the leadership goes, so the church goes, huh? And you're like, you're the odd one. It only makes sense that the church would be as odd as its leader. I like that. I'm okay with that. We're odd we met online all of last summer. We were about one of the only few churches that was meeting online still. We did gospel communities outside, DNA groups outside with masks where they met online. We met outside here at Couch Park for eight, mo- eight and a half months. Six of those, we were fully masked. <laughs> we moved back indoors in June and we required masks. Even though our numbers were far better, we did so because kids 11 under couldn't be vaccinated. With, and Delta wasn't an issue at the time, but we said when these little ones can't be vaccinated, they're just as valuable as the adults. We're gonna do this for them. So we put on masks and we did it for the sake of the children who are with us. Then Delta hit. We moved our GCs back outside, our DNA groups back outside. Our services have stayed masked. We've massively inconvenienced ourselves this past year to love and serve one another in our city. We have lost many along the way. And while I'm told that we, should, uh, that we should have had an equal financial loss, it hasn't. We haven't experienced a major financial loss. In fact, our givings remain steady. And at times we've had more coming in than, uh, than when we were double our membership. Not only that, people have given above and beyond to bless people in our city who've not been able to make bill payments, rent payments, get food, et cetera, due to COVID. I think we're getting close to $90,000 that we've just given out to bless people because you guys have given that on top of normal giving or you quit giving and just gave it all to that. And yet our regular giving didn't get affected somehow. Like these are things to celebrate, right? This is what it means to glorify God in the way we've done things. I said in the summer of 2020 that we'd probably not get many visitors and be prepared to not see much growth. Instead, we've had lots of visitors, especially over the past five months. Kevin just wrapped up our membership class this morning. He said we had 10 to 12 people that were registered for it on any given week. It was you know, from nine to 10 that were here. Back on that Facebook Live in March 2020, none of us had any idea what to expect. We had no idea how long this all would go on, what would be required of us. But the anchor in this storm for Redeemer has been do all to the glory of God. We do not want to give offense to anyone outside of Jesus or to those that are part of his church. The phrase does not mean we never challenge or address sin. The gospel itself is offensive, and Paul made that quite clear in this letter, in fact. 
Not giving offense as it relates to doing all to the glory of God means waiving our rights and freedoms for the sake of the other. And not to no end either, but for their salvation, for their wholeness. We have called Redeemer to lay down our rights and freedoms so that we might glorify God by seeking the good of others. And our hope in all this is that fellow Christians would grow up in Christ more and more and that those in our city who do not know Jesus or have heard and rejected him would turn to Jesus in faith and be saved, be made whole. We have sought to glorify God in our public witness in this city. This is why Paul says in verse 33, look at it again. Just as I try to please everyone in everything, I do not, I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Paul is not talking about being a people pleaser as we think of it. No, this ties to what he said about not giving offense to Jews and Greeks and to the church of God. It even ties back to what he said in chapter nine about becoming all things to all people that he might save some. He is not about syncretism with the gospel and other religions or idolatry. He's not about preaching the gospel that is palatable to all. He wouldn't be hated by so many if that were the case. No, what he means here is what he lives, uh, is that he lives what he's preaching. He makes this abundantly clear in 1 Corinthians 9 when he talks about all the rights of the apostle that he has, yet he laid them all down for the sake of the Corinthians so that they might receive the gospel and not be hindered from it. He didn't want to be an offense to them by his actions and attitude. He would have claimed his rights, but it would have hindered the gospel. He could have claimed Christian liberty, but it would have hindered the gospel. Thus, it would have hindered those being saved. This has been one of the major issues with the Corinthian church, and we are witnessing it as one of our very own issues today. Rather than doing all to the glory of God as the anchor of our response to the pandemic, we have found anchor in our rights and our freedoms. I've said this multiple times, but this pandemic was a softball for the church, an easy home run, and we just whiffed and whiffed. People have argued with me at times saying, well, look at all these other Christians, but I usually respond with, let's look at the non-Christians. What are they saying? I cannot tell you how many emails and private messages I've had or conversations I've had with people where they've talked about their non-Christian friend and they tell them about Redeemer and how we've handled the pandemic and they'll say things like, oh, your church cares about people. Oh, your church is this, or your church is that. Or they'll give me these statements in private messages how much they disdain the church, how they've given up hope on the church because they look at the church's response and it's all about me, myself, and I, my rights, my this, my that, and they're done. I hate those emails. I hate those private messages. Tyler gets them too. We've both received them recently even. It's terrifying. It's honestly caused me to question many people and leaders and beliefs. Some have argued that they've had a lot of baptisms because they refuse to follow the government mandates because government overreach. And I'm not making this up and it's not pastors around here if you're curious. We desire to glorify God by seeing people in our lives be saved in Jesus Christ. I say it all the time. Salvation has to do with being made whole in Christ Jesus. We want people to trust Jesus for the salvation. There's no other way to be made truly holy human. By trusting in Jesus, all our past sins are forgiven. You're declared righteous before God. He gives you the Holy Spirit to conform you to the image of Christ, giving power over sin in your present life. And one day he will return and give us all glorified God. He's to free us forever from the presence of sin and evil. Salvation is not just personal either. As he saves you, he brings you into his family, the church. Thus, we become a new humanity of former enemies now reconciled to God and to one another. And humility is the way forward for the church. As we see others as more and more significant than ourselves and seek their greatest good, we now live as a people committed to glorifying God in all that we do. And when we are not doing so, we, like Paul's whole letter here, addresses it calls for repentance. 
And we do so because the public witness of the church is as important to the spread of the gospel as your personal witness, maybe even more so in some cases. Here's where I wanna close this morning. I wanna read Romans 12. I'm just gonna read it. Romans 12, nine through 21. We did a whole sermon series on this. If you wanna go to redeemerstore.com, go to our resources tab, hit sermons, go to 2018 at the very, very bottom and you'll scroll down and you'll see a series called Distinct. But I wanna read this because I think this sums up really, really well what it means to do all to the glory of God as it relates to how we treat one another and others. So just listen as I read this and then I'm gonna pray and we'll take communion. Romans 12, sorry, I turned to Romans 9. I ain't going to do it. Everybody wants Romans 9. What did Paul mean by all that? You're not going to find out. All right. Romans 12, 9 through 21. It says, let love be genuine. That means without hypocrisy. Abhor, hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these testimonies. Thank you for this beautiful weather, this park that served as a space for your church to gather for eight and a half months to worship your name in a way that would honor our city and and, and and respect the people here, that we want to love them well, how we could love one another well in all this. Thank you for this place to come back and reflect on your faithfulness to us, God, in one of the most challenging seasons that we've ever faced. And I thank you that this church, Lord, by and large, has not been a church full of whining and complaining and backbiting in regards to mask and COVID protocols. But the continual testimony of this church has been people saying, okay, I will inconvenience myself for the sake of others, going out of their way to serve others, to love others, even when maybe they disagreed with some of the protocols to say, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm gonna be respectful and I'm going to give honor here. God, I thank you for this Redeemer family. I pray for those who are considering being members. I pray they will come in to this family and that we'll continue to grow and thrive together, pointing one another to Christ and leading our city to Christ, both in word and in deed. And we thank you for your, your mercies that are unending, as Sarah read, and are new every single morning. May we find rest for our weary souls in Christ alone. Amen.